Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone, and is a project of EEI, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Brad Vietor, Vice President of External Affairs at EEI, and I'm your host. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're going to have a conversation about electric vehicles, electric transportation, the future there, something that I know a bunch of our listeners here are certainly interested in. And to do it, as opposed to having a conversation with electricity experts, we've decided to invite in an expert from the automotive industry to tell us that story. Today, I'm joined by Dan Bowerson, who's the Senior Director of Energy and Environment at the Alliance for Automotive Innovation. So, Welcome, Dan. Thanks for joining us. And I hope you could tell us about yourself and also a little bit about the Alliance and the work that you all do there. Yeah, thanks, Brad. And thanks a lot to you and EEI for inviting me. This has been a partnership between the auto industry and the utilities that has really started to flourish. So really excited to participate in the conversation today. As you mentioned, I'm with the Alliance for Automotive Innovation or Auto Innovators. The association was formed in 2020 from a combination of the Alliance of Automotive manufacturers and the Association of Global Automakers. The merged organization now is the singular and respected voice of the auto industry. We're focused on creating a safe and transformative path for the automotive industry through industry growth. And we represent manufacturers producing nearly 99% of cars and light trucks sold in the U.S. And we're directly involved in regulatory and policy matters that impact the light duty vehicle market across the country. Our members include motor vehicle manufacturers, original equipment suppliers, technology, and other automotive-related companies and trade associations. We're headquartered in Washington, D.C., but we also have offices in Michigan, where I'm located, and California. And really, as my role in Senior Director for Energy and Environment, directly involved in fuels and vehicle electrification policies and regulations. And these include a large swath of areas, but some of the topics would be fuel quality, clean fuel or low-carbon fuel standards, EV battery life cycle, which includes critical minerals end of life policies, and then electric vehicle charging and hydrogen fueling infrastructure. So really a broad swath there in the electrification platform. Can you tell our listeners about the growth in the number of electric vehicles and where the industry is heading overall? Things really seem to be accelerating on the electric side of the equation. And it's sometimes good for us to hear it from other people besides ourselves. So I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And I think acceleration might be understating where we're heading. So as you mentioned, this is really a transformative and exciting period for the auto industry. The industry itself will have invested over $330 billion by 2025 in vehicle electrification. I'm going to say that again, $330 billion, which is a huge sum of money, even in automotive terms. And this is real money. The manufacturers are investing to improve the EV technology and improve the value proposition for our customers. In terms of model availability, today we have over 50 models available that are electrified. And that number is expected to grow to over 130 by 2026. And the vehicles coming to market is what's really exciting. So they're going to include battery electric, plug-in and fuel cell technologies with longer range, more capability and in different market segments at a variety of price points. And we're already starting to see announcements for EVs in almost all shapes, sizes and configurations. We're talking from small to large cars, SUVs to minivan, two-wheel to all-wheel, short range, long range, 
luxury and economy and pretty much everything in between. So very soon, there's going to be a vehicle option to meet nearly every customer's daily needs, uh, assuming there's sufficient infrastructure development and customer acceptance of these vehicles. And that's a key point. So collaboration, you'll hear me say throughout our discussion, is extremely important for going to meet the industry and the president's goals of increased electrification. So yes, I think your comment of accelerating is spot on. And I think we're going pretty fast and in a short amount of time here. Yeah, I think there was something that was pretty telling. What was it? Maybe a year ago, I spent a lot of my time tracking state policy and what governors and others are doing. And some waves were made in California when California said no new vehicle internal combustion engine sales beyond 2035. And then we saw it picked up in Massachusetts and in New Jersey. And then we saw GM grab the mic and say, all right, we're here too. So there's a ton of action from your members. It's not just policymakers holding out a bunch of sticks. The vehicle producers themselves, as you said, put their money with their mouth is $330 billion. I mean, that is a boatload of cash that is being laid out into the space. And GM's right there. I'm sure you've got other members that are doing similar stuff. Anything you want to add on that point? Yeah, no, that, that's spot on, Brad. The auto industry is absolutely ready and willing to meet that challenge. I will say that in order to meet that, though, we're going to need necessary conditions in place, whether we're talking about affordability or infrastructure or the supply side with the critical minerals and recycling. But these necessary conditions really need to be in place to meet those goals. But we are absolutely ready to and willing to partner and, and make sure those conditions are in place to allow us to reach that goal. We see this as a great opportunity. The industry has committed itself to electrifying and with the proper policies and necessary conditions, we can absolutely meet that target. Well, let's get into that. Let's talk about what those conditions and policies are. I want you to think about it in two ways. You know, one, let's spend a little bit of time talking about policy conditions because there's some big infrastructure legislation that's being debated in Congress right now that I'm assuming attempt to address some of those issues. And then there's the reconciliation bill. I think there are a couple of things in play in Congress that will matter. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about those policy conditions. And then let's move from there to talk about what else you need from your partners in the industry. I know you've got some great partnerships with utilities and others. And so it'll be good to hear from you where we need to be focusing our time. So let's start with the first one. Let's talk about what the policy conditions are that are required here. Yeah, absolutely. So as you're aware, and many people listening to this are aware that President Biden has set a a broad goal of 50% EV sales by 2030. And as I mentioned, we're poised to meet that challenge, but we need the appropriate policies and necessary conditions in place. The transformation that we're talking about is greater than really any one single policy branch or level of government or even industry sector, as I mentioned, EEI and the auto industry working together. This is an important topic for both of us, but we're really going to need a holistic approach with broad range of legislative and regulatory policies. The first key necessary condition that we see is consumer affordability and awareness. We also see charging and refueling infrastructure. And then the third necessary condition is really a broad area of innovation, manufacturing, and supply chain security. And when we talk about the first topic, consumer affordability and awareness. We've made significant progress driving down battery and fuel cell costs, but there's still a lot of R&D investments that are going to be needed to realize really the parity between EVs and their internal combustion counterparts. As you're likely aware, EVs currently cost significantly more to produce than the equivalent gas car or truck. That divide grows even more when you're considering convenience and utility parity. So you're going to be talking about potentially larger batteries to support longer EV ranges to meet consumer expectations and needs. And to bridge those divides, the following policies are where we would look at. You mentioned the 30D federal tax credit for plug-in hybrids and battery electric vehicles. There's also the 30B fuel cell motor vehicle tax credit 
Both are being considered as part of the reconciliation package. We also see additional R&D investment, both federal and private. We see a need for ambitious federal fleet requirements to adopt EVs. This is not only going to help consumer awareness by putting more vehicles on the road, but it also is going to provide more consumers, such as federal employees, with that EV driving experience. And additionally, opportunities to develop programs that can expand consumer awareness and adoption of EVs and to highlight infrastructure availability. And if I can pivot to the charging and refueling infrastructure, customers simply aren't going to buy the vehicles they can't conveniently charge or refuel, right? So we need to have increased investment in EV charging. Some of these are on the horizon such as the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is currently pending in Congress, which allocates $7.5 billion in federal funds for EV charging stations. But we still see significant gaps. We need to address several items such as grid resiliency, energy demands for charging, an equitable rollout of charging infrastructure. These are all going to be integral parts of a successful future for EVs in America. Today, we have about 107,000 public charging outlets nationwide, and only about 20,000 of those are DC fast chargers. So While this is a lot, it's not near enough to support an expanded fleet. So a few weeks ago, Auto Innovators, we released their EV charging infrastructure principles. And these really look to advance acceptance through a set of concise and pointed principles that help guide infrastructure investments and developments. No compromise mobility, public-private partnerships for accelerated infrastructure deployment, utility rates and programs for EV charging, timely and cost-effective grid upgrades, ensuring utility customers benefit from EV transportation, and then finally, building codes that incorporate EV charges into new construction. And then if I can just briefly on the the supply side, the demand side solutions can really help address some of the near-term challenges that we have, but they're going to contribute to a sustained U.S. leadership in innovation if and only if they're aligned with supply side realities. Some of the vital aspects of the supply chain for electric vehicles require manufacturing of fuel cell stacks and batteries, These include critical minerals extraction, processing, battery self-production, and end-of-life recycling. Currently, the U.S. is lagging in all of these areas. In 2019, Chinese chemical companies accounted for roughly 80% of the world's total output of advanced battery raw materials. So we really see the supply side as one of the best opportunities to develop a long-term and sustainable U.S. leadership through manufacturing investments. Let's dig in a little bit further into those policy conversations. I am on the list to get access to the F-150 Lightning. I saw $12,000 or $12,500 tax credit that's in conversation right now that would be eligible for use in that vehicle. That gets me pretty excited. That makes that enormous sticker price for a pickup truck a bit more attainable. But in addition to some of those direct tax credits, what are y'all paying the most attention to in those two pieces of legislation? Yeah, I think there's a lot of items in there. You touched on the incentive piece that's going to help that first condition that I mentioned, that affordability for customers. When we look at infrastructure, there's a continuation of the 30C, which is alternative fuel refueling property. That's another credit. We absolutely have been supporting the states and, and would encourage even at the federal clean fuel policy which could help a broad area. This is also known as a low carbon fuel standard, but this is a standard where You essentially are reducing the carbon intensity of the liquid fuels on the road today, while at the same time giving investment for EV charging and rebates. We've seen in California an opportunity working with the utilities to actually reduce the purchase price for customers. And that's all coming out of the low carbon fuel standard. It's not a a tax credit. It's coming right out of that standard. So items like that, I think I mentioned 
you know, building codes for new construction, not just in single family homes, but multi-unit dwellings. It's much more convenient for a person who has a garage to install a charger. But for those many people that are living in apartments or condos, that becomes a little more challenging. And then I think on the manufacturing side, there's opportunities to entice and encourage domestic manufacturing and processing and recycling to keep those minerals domestic and enhance our national energy security through those types of policies. As I'm sitting here thinking about this and really just thinking about the size of um, transformation that we're on the precipice of with all this investment in electric vehicles, there's some significant policy change that's going to be required. How do we pay for infrastructure right now? We pay for it with a gasoline tax as we start to move away from the internal combustion engine. We've got to figure out other mechanisms here, right? I know that sort of stuff has got to be something you're spending significant time on. Oh, we absolutely are. We recognize the realities there. And what we would say is those policies, we need to make sure that they're fair and equitable. EVs should absolutely be paying their fair share, but it shouldn't be egregious. It should not be penalizing for our customers that actually make the purchase of an EV. Well, talking to a guy who's sitting over in Dearborn, Michigan, I've got to ask car questions. There's a lot of talk about new entrants into the market. We're seeing more and more discussion about legitimate SUVs that can carry me and all my kids somewhere. What are the products that are coming online that you think are beginning to become game changers and make electric vehicles more mainstream. So as a car guy in Dearborn, Michigan, extremely excited about what's coming. And I don't think I would do the auto industry justice by singling out individual models, but instead just to think about the vast array of vehicles that'll be online very soon. I mentioned that we're going to start seeing electric SUVs. We're seeing pickups, crossovers, all-wheel drive models. These are all coming in just a month or two ago. Sales of zero emission vehicles. And when we say zero emission vehicles, we're talking battery electric, plug-in electric, and fuel cell. They accounted for 4% of total vehicle sales, which is up 2.1% from a year ago. So we're making significant progress. And we split that out a little bit. Battery electric vehicles led the way for ZEVs, which account for 2.6% of total sales. And then plug-in hybrids accounted for 1.4, which is more than three times from the year ago. So we're seeing considerable jumps from the previous year, but there's obviously a long way to go to meet the goals of manufacturers and the administration. So Again, I'm going to come back to this, but to meet these targets and and goals, we need public-private collaboration along with collaboration across industries. We're now working with EV charging companies, public utility commissions, environmental justice organizations, along with state and federal governments to ensure that we all achieve our goals for broader electrification. Well, you've got an audience here of some state policymakers and then also a bunch of folks that come from the electric utility space. What do you need from us? As you're thinking about what's next and the barriers to broad transformation, how can we aid this progress? Part of it, Brad, is what we're doing right now. Just the the conversation and we've been meeting with a lot of utilities. We've been meeting with public utility commissioners. And what we're hearing is the auto industry needs to be more involved. Hearing that is extremely helpful. We're, we're committed to being more involved in these opportunities, understanding the industry a little better, understanding what you might need from the auto industry. If it's working with you, sending a letter of support for an opportunity where it would absolutely benefit EV consumers, that kind of information is helpful. I, I continue to come back to the, the collaboration. It's critical. I think EEI and auto innovators have done a great job of that thus far, and I, I just continue to see that flourishing. All right. So... I guess maybe my last question, who knows? Let's say we're in a time machine, right? We go 10, 15 years in the future. We're beyond 2035. We've got some states who have set those 2035 standards, some automakers who have set those 2035 standards, and we're on the road and getting relatively close to the zero emission targets. What were the big things that we had to overcome? 
because in the electric utility industry, we think about this as getting carbon neutral. And we're like, all right, cool. We feel really good about that first 80%, but we got to figure some things out on that last 20. Yeah, I think it's a great question, Brad. And I think one of the biggest hurdles that we will have had to overcome to get there is customer acceptance and customer experience, right? Customers are used to what's their preferred method and, and what they've grown up with. They go to a dealership, they pick out the gas car, they don't think about where they're going to have to fuel it. It's just, I know that I'm going to have the fuel available. Trying to get customers into EVs, it's taking a little more that they're going to potentially a different method of how they're used to traveling, that they're going to use the home as a charging opportunity. And then DC fast chargers along long routes where they'll have to stop to charge instead of refuel. So I think the customer acceptance is a big one. And with that comes charging infrastructure. I think that's a, a big area of just get the, the comfort level for our customers is the, I think the biggest thing. And obviously the supply side, I, I mentioned some of the, the items there. And I think there's opportunity there. And I think the administration sees that opportunity with some of their policies that they're proposing. So this may be an inappropriate read since we're doing this podcast virtually, but I don't know, I get a sense of hope in your voice. You feel like this is something we could do. Is that a feeling and impression you get from the broader auto industry? I'm glad you can hear it in my voice because it's extremely exciting for me. And I would absolutely agree that the industry is excited to be part of this. This is something that is absolutely transformative and it's a very exciting time to be involved in the auto industry. And we've got a lot of work to do to get those necessary conditions in place, but we're up to the challenge. And I know the utilities are as well, and the EV charging companies and the environmental and environmental justice organizations, we're all up to the challenge. The time is ripe to, to be in the auto industry and see the, the industry transforming before our eyes and being part of that. Well, thank you, Dan. Thanks for lending your expertise and frankly, covering a wide range of topics. I appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. I really appreciate the invite, Brad, and, and yeah, I look forward to the continued cooperation and collaboration between the two associations here. It's a great relationship and will only blossom. So really appreciate the time today. We hope you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights on energy policy. To learn more about EEI and the electric power industry, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy.